Welcome to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. This is our attempt to speak the gospel out of every corner of Scripture. We believe every part of the Bible, Old Testament and New, is about Jesus. And this podcast is our experiment to publicly test that belief. Let's jump in. All right, well, welcome everyone to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. We are continuing our walk through the book of Numbers. Yes, and just more rebellion on more rebellion <laughs> on more rebellion. Yep, the just book like of Numbers a is a cycle. Teenage, like a Seth, like a teenage Seth. More like teenage my sister. Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. whoa. ouch. <laughs> just threw your sister under the bus. Didn't name her, but you can find her on Instagram. No, oh, there you go. <laughs> Didn't name her, but I'm gonna f- let you figure out where to go find her. Man, your sister's gonna get like some I, hate online now. Yeah, I was more the self-righteous Pharisee. Yeah, you were too. You were too too much of a legalist to be disobedient. Yeah, you you weren't Israel before they refused to enter the Promised Land. You were Israel running in and after God said don't. Yeah, trying to earn it yourself. Yes, that's exactly yes. right. And so that's what we looked at last week was Israel's refusal to enter the Promised Land. And, and so, so we said, for, bef- yeah, oh, we're also, both trying to introduce the same thing. So, so before that, God punishes the older generation says they're all going to die in the wilderness but the younger generation will enter that's right okay that's right and so what we kind of said was like we have an example of israel's disobedience following by a bunch of laws intended to correct israel's mm-hmm. disobedience but now we have the priests deciding to obey that's right and so what i think you're supposed to see here is like there's this growing rebellion among the people at first it was just the rabble just the mixed multitude, just the Egyptians wanting to go back to Egypt. Yep. Then it's the whole nation that wants to go back to Egypt. Now we're going to get the priests, yep. the people who are supposed to be closest into God's presence who want to go back to Egypt. And eventually Moses will even distrust. Mm-hmm. So you have this like descending, if you were like, you had like a... Like the concentric the circles, circles from the beginning of Numbers. Right, and they're they're circling in, and they're showing that every single person is disobedient. Mm-hmm. Nobody can see what I'm doing with my hands. Yeah, you're you're, like, you're bringing not... them in from a big circle <laughs> into a little circle. <laughs> like all the like the the, the, the drain. The, circle. the drain, yeah. It's circling the drain. Circling the drain. Like yep. That's the image you should see. Right. So, and, and the other thing that's happening here of why we start looking at the priests is because the 12 tribes each had a leader that went into the promised land and had a representative. And it's they, except Caleb, that were punished, right? Right. But the tribe of Levi is not outnumbered with the 12. They are different. Right. And so the question is, what's going on with the Levites? What's going on with the priests at this time? Are they swept up in this rebellion and this disobedience too, or are they different? And what we find out is they are swept up in the rebellion and the right. disobedience. And what's funny, what they do is, I'm just going to read it to you. In okay. verse 3, they assemble themselves together. Oh, sorry, this is chapter 16. Chapter 16. They've assembled the 250 Levites together yep. against Moses and against Aaron and said to them, you have gone too far for all in the congregation are holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Why then do you exalt yourself above the assembly of the Lord? Mm-hmm. So what we should see here, this isn't primarily like directed at Moses, although he's included. It's primarily directed at Aaron as the leader of the high priest. Right. And it's the same um, objection that Miriam brings against Moses. Yep. Miriam says, I'm filled with the Holy Spirit, so why do you have authority over me? Yep. And then the Levites come to Aaron and says, like, we're all holy and set apart. 
why are you specially holy and mm-hmm. set apart? It's the same objection that we just saw with Moses right. not too far. Because if you remember before. at the beginning of Numbers, um, God gives the Levites each different jobs. And we looked at those all individually, right? The sons of Aaron were the ones that were supposed to be the ones who actually handled the holy utensils inside the tabernacle and covered them up with different cloths and animal skins before they were to be transported. The, um, the Kohathites, which... Korah is a part of, right. they were to then take the the items out of the tabernacle after they were wrapped up. Right. And so they kind of assumed then that since they weren't trusted to actually touch the objects themselves and be in charge of that first step, that they were somehow less than. Right. And they were like, um, we're all equal. We're all Levites. Right. Why do we have a lesser job? Who, are, who do you think you are? You've gone too that. far. You're too proud. Right. And it's like the, 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 the idea here was not, is not that Aaron is somehow intrinsically better or his sons are somehow elevated above them. They just have different jobs. Right. We talked about that all the way back when we, we first introduced them. And they were like, they did not believe that that was the case. Nope. And so they see the fact that Moses and Aaron's leadership has led them to lose the battle and mm. not enter in the promised land. Mm-hmm. And the fact that they are holy as reasons that they can actually, they should be the true leaders. Right. Uh, Aaron, at least, or at least Aaron and Moses shouldn't be the true leaders and that Korah should be. Yep. Um, and they say in verse 13, is it a small thing that you have brought us up out of a land flowing with milk and honey? So fascinating. <laughs> they say Egypt was a land of milk and honey flowing with livestock and fruits and vegetables and it brought us to kill us in the wilderness. Is he talking about Egypt there? He is talking about Egypt there because moreover, you have not brought us into a land flowing with milk and honey. Oh, so you've brought us out of a good land. And then you failed to bring us into a, a good land. Killing us in the wilderness, and you couldn't even get us into the one that you said you were. And so they were saved from slavery, and they're mad about it. And then they are projecting their own disobedience onto someone who didn't disobey. <laughs> they are deflecting like mad. This is, yeah. this is crazy. So that's this is the essence of the rebellion. Mm. We're all holy. Yep. Why are you set apart above us? Mm. Besides that, you promised to get us into a land for milk and honey. And so we followed you from a land of milk and honey to this border yeah, wilderness yeah, that right. we're going to die in and you couldn't get us in so you shouldn't be the true leaders we should be mm-hmm. so it's the same issue of authority that we saw with miriam and moses back yep. a couple chapters ago 11 through 12 yep and so moses like he has been in each case intercedes for the people which is really interesting i think i think we actually see him fall on his face and start to intercede before god even promises any kind of punishment yep and so it's like moses knows what the end of this kind of disobedience and questioning of authority ends it. I mean, he, he says was there for verse seven because yeah. they say, you've gone too far, Moses and Aaron. And then Moses says, no, you've gone too far. <laughs> <laughs> do not do this. Take I know seven. you are, but what am I? It's <laughs> that Moses's reply. <laughs> yep. And so, um, is it then, uh, is it, is, is he the one who comes up with this idea of the censors? It is. He yeah. says, take the censors. Yeah. So there's these, these little bits of incense, right? Is that, is that what's happening here? Um, there's, okay, let me read it. He says, do this. Moses says, do this. Uh, we're going to see who God chooses to be the leader. Do this. Take censers. The censers of Korah. Okay, censer, in my mind, yep. is just kind of like a, a metal bowl. Yep, little bowls. With like handles. Yep, take take little bowls. Uh, I lost my place. Where was it? There we go. Uh, take take the, your little bowls of, of Korah and all his company and put fire in them. So build these little like candle bowls and put incense in them before the Lord tomorrow. And the man whom the Lord chooses shall be the Holy One. So God is apparently going to choose one censer 
out of all the other ones. Right. I don't know if he's going to extinguish all the other ones or and leave one lit or something, but this was a test to right. show who God would choose. So but the, the test next- never really ends up happening. So the next morning, 250 people come out. Including Cora. And, and so yep. all of them that have their little sensors, because they're like, who's the true leader? We're going to find out right We're now. We're going to find out. And uh, so every man took a sensor and put fire in them. And Korah assembled the congregation against them at the entrance of the tent of meeting. So the whole nation of Israel is gathered around 250 censors to see who will God's new leader be. Yep. And then what happens? And then God says, it's a trap. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, kind of. That's that's kind of what's happening here because God ends up using this moment as a playing field or like a stage, I guess I should say to punish the people who are challenging whom, right. who he has put in authority. Yeah, and so Moses tells everyone, back away, back away, back away. Yeah. Moses actually inter- intercedes for the 250, right? Yeah. He's like, hey, it's just the three that were really the, the ringleaders. Oh, I re- uh, I was reading that as to the entire congregation, like, nation of Israel, get back, get oh, back, get back, get yeah, back. Yeah, yeah, because something bad's about to go down. So bad's about to happen. Yep. And then Moses says, like, this is how you'll know in mm-hmm. verse 28 that I'm truly God's, Aaron's truly God's anointed, is if these men die by natural causes, you'll know that I'm not God's, God's chosen prophet Oh, here. right, right, right. But if something new happens and the ground swallows them up, then you'll know that Aaron truly is God's anointed person for this task. And what mm-hmm. happens? The ground opens up, swallows the four of them whole. Yep. And then the fire, the incense that was supposed to be a sign uh-huh. of, of who, who God would choose, ends up just spilling over and consuming everybody the 250 the 250 right and so, so god's answer to who's chosen is none of you it's aaron who already put in charge right yeah that's exactly yeah. right yeah, and this should remind us of nadab and abihu right who offered strange fire to the lord mm-hmm. so remember the kohathites mm-hmm. were supposed to carry the objects yep. not act like priests and so oh, by bringing yeah. by bringing A the sensor. incense mm-hmm. at all they're violating God's commands. They're bringing unauthorized fire bringing like Nadab un- and Abihu did. They're bringing unauthorized fire. And so God's response is, just like Nadab and Abihu, is when his holiness meets their sin, yep. they're swallowed by it. That's right. And then something happens with the, the bowls themselves, right? Right. So all the censers are now technically holy oh, because right, God's the fire fi- of the Lord has come on them. They, and so they take all the censers of Korah and they hammer them into like a shield mm-hmm. to cover the Ark of the Covenant. Which is it's like, crazy. here's the ruins of all those who have opposed my laws. And it's like a picture of also of who may not enter. Unless you are a Levite, oh. unless you are my chosen one, yeah. you are physically barred from entering. Mm. You, I'm just slapping it's, my hands yeah. together for no <laughs> it's, reason. It's a like, reminder. It's a reminder mm-hmm. that only God's chosen one can enter the temple. Wow. But people's really response intense. to this. Oh, yeah. They go crazy. So, again, we're seeing increasing, growing rebellion in this shrinking circle, but also the, everybody else, even as it gets narrower focus, uh-huh. like everybody else is still going crazy. Yeah, verse 41, but the next day, all the congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron saying, you have killed the people of the Lord. My first question was, how? How How did Moses open the ground and send fire out? Like, who do you think Moses, I mean, I guess they'd seen him do some pretty crazy miracles. Like, let's give, the, let's give them that. Right. Like, they'd seen him open the Red Sea and like bring water out of a rock. They think he's some kind of crazy miracle. Miracle worker. But they should know that it is the Lord. I who know does that, but I'm just saying. Well, like, it's funny. Yeah. Whenever Jesus turns water into wine, they oh. keep misattributing <gasps> to it, it, to Satan. Right? No, 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 no. Oh no! They think that Jesus is like they think Moses is the impressive one. Uh-huh. But don't you know, the bread was from God. Oh, you said Jesus. 
What did I say? You said when Jesus brings bread. So well, I, yeah, well, well, yeah, in John six, when uh-huh. he brings the when he multiplies the bread and fish, uh-huh. and they come looking for him, and right. it's like, what sign are you going to do to prove that you're a true prophet from God? And he says, no, don't you know the bread was from God? Oh, it was never about Moses. Moses. It was it's, about what God did. <laughs> it's misplaced attribution, like an attribution. What was the word? Attribution. Yeah. They're, they're misplacing. They're misplacing who did what. Right. And they're so saying like, well, you've worked all these other miracles, and now you're using your power for death. Yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, they're just convinced that Moses is some conjurer killing everybody. But like, no, it's disbelief. Yeah. It's disbelief that God is actually the one who is holy. Yeah. And who has, who is responding mm. to people's sin. Anyway. It's interesting. And so, um, so then... God's wrath breaks out against all the congregation. Because they're doing the same thing that Levi did. That's they're right. questioning Moses and Aaron's authority. Yep. You guys are unjust leaders. You're not fit to lead. Yep. And so in the same way that just happened for Korah, this plague starts spreading out through the entire camp of Israel, and thousands of people start dying. That's right. So quickly that Moses goes to Aaron, Aaron, run <laughs> as fast as you can, get incense, get a censer, and run out into the middle of the people and stand between the dead and the living so mm-hmm. that the Lord will end the plague. Yeah, there's this plague sweeping through and Aaron goes and I love that that phrase. It's really intense. He stands between the dead and the living. The plague was stopped. And the plague was stopped. And here we get, and here's something we should really notice. We had 250 men, right, mm-hmm. uh, that, that, that died. And then now in this plague, there were 14,700. Right. So what we should be seeing is that number we started with at the beginning of numbers in the census, that right. 600,003, right. whatever, um, 603,000 is now slowly being uh, chipped away at. Right, right, God's right, right, right. promise of punishment that they would all die in the wilderness is coming true. And again and again and again throughout numbers, um, you're going to see numbers pop right. up yeah, yeah, and yeah. you're going to see 14,000, subtract 14,000 from that number, subtract this, this many from that number. And God is slowly chipping away at the old generation. The uh, I love that idea, and he stood between the dead and the living. Yep, as a picture of intercession. Oh, it's it's it is so beautiful. It is what intercession is. What yep. is Moses doing every time there is disobedience? He is standing before the God of life and light, and between those of darkness and, and sin and death. Mm. And he's standing between them, and he's like, Lord, I know your light must push away the darkness. Mm. I know your holiness must do away with sin, but do both, mm-hmm. like bring us into your light and punish the darkness at the same time. Right. Standing between the two constantly. I keep imagining like movie posters where there's like a big battle coming together in the middle and there's like one person holding back something. I don't know. It's, it's yeah, like, no, totally. It's like an action movie. It really it is, is. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, um, I, I mean, think about Romans fourteen nine. For this reason, Christ died and returned to life that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. Who has the actual right to stand between the living and the dead? He who died and came back to life right. is the point. That Jesus is the only one qualified to actually finally be the intercessor between the dead and the living. Those who are going to be ultimately condemned for their sin and the God of life who could uh, sustain us forever. Jesus is the one who stands before us and actually ends the plague, ends the punishment that we deserve, ends the death that we are supposed to to, to have experienced, and instead gives us life. And we get yeah. to go through the grave like he did. We get to move from death to life. We get to not be the older generation, but become the new generation. We get to not be exiled, but get to enter, all yeah. because Jesus is the one who stands between the dead and the living. It's so cool. It's pretty amazing what happens next. 
that that the the people wanted to perform some kind of test to see who the legitimate leader was. Right. And then in 17, after this plague, God suggests the tests, yes. which is just like really kind of him to be like, I'm going to show you miraculously that I have actually chosen Aaron. It, As if the, him standing between the dead and the living wasn't already enough right. that he went out there and the plague stopped. Right. It's like, so God proposes a test. And this time he asked all the different leaders. Mm-hmm. Uh, is it all the Levite leaders? It's all the, the leaders of the Levite houses right. to deposit their staffs in the tent of meeting. So yep. they all have a staff because yep. they're in the desert. So they just place them right there. Yeah, and I think it's a sign of their authority. I think it's like their... Yeah, like a scepter. Like, like a scepter, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so they place it inside, and it, is it like overnight? Is that right? The next day, yeah. Moses went into the te- testimony, and behold, the staff of Aaron for the house of Levi had sprouted and put forth buds and produced blossoms. It bore ripe almonds. Right, so it's like there's an almond tree growing out of a stick. Right. That it should not happen. Right. That's a miracle. It's a miracle. And the whole point is... It's a sign for the rebels. That's right. Verse uh, 10. It's a sign for the rebels that you may make an end of their grumbling against me lest they die. Yep. It's proof of his authority. I am the legitimate authority, the legitimate mediator yep. for Israel. And it's been proven because out of a dead thing, God has brought life. And the, the fact that the people get this is proven in the next verse. And the people of Israel said to Moses, Behold, we perish. We are undone. We are all undone. Everyone who comes near, who comes near the tabernacle of the Lord shall die. Are we all to perish? Yep. And the answer is, yes. Yes. You, without Aaron. Right. And it's like, it's an ironic question. It, it, it's, two things are happening here. Yeah. One is for the new generation to whom the, the, the commands and laws were given in, in chapter 15, the answer is no. If you respect the priesthood that God has put in place, the intercessors that God has ordained, no, you won't perish because you'll have a proper intercessor. But then for the older generation, the question's ironic. Uh, like, are we all to perish? Yeah. God yeah. promised you would. Right. And so it's it's kind of a, a both and thing. And it also goes back to Mount Sinai too. So oh, it's okay. like God's presence falls. Uh-huh. And what does everybody say there? We're all going to die. Oh, right. Yeah. yeah. So Moses, gonna, you go. I, we don't want to go. Moses, 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 you go. You go. But the difference here is that Aaron's the one who goes. Mm-hmm. So what it's show, well, the point of this passage is not just to show Moses is the legitimate authority, mm-hmm. but Aaron is the legitimate authority as well. And so like, it's there's something happening here that's like distinguishing between Moses' role and Aaron's role. Like mm-hmm. up to now, they've been kind of like lumped together. Yep. Moses has been the intercessor, but now like Aaron. Yeah, really in the comes most to the fore. Yeah. in the most dramatic story so far, standing, standing between, between the and dead yeah. and the living. Aaron's there. So some commentators will point to say like, look, we have like multiple things happening. We have Moses as an intercessor, but like Aaron really is the priest. And right, Moses yes. is like the king. Right. Because He's, they're talking about when we come near to the tabernacle, right. all this stuff is happening at the tabernacle. It's the Levites that are the ones that are right. throwing up a fit. So people have talked about like prophet, priest, and king uh-huh. as these things that Jesus fulfills. Right. So I think you begin to see those things separate out here mm-hmm. for the first time. Yeah. So like Aaron is the priest. Yep. And then Moses is the prophet. The, the prophet yep. and the king speaking mouth to mouth yep. the words of God. It's like we see those things separating. So it's like it's a a more nuanced point mm-hmm. because it's like it's focusing on Aaron, but it's the same point we've been making definitely, all along. Definitely. Definitely. Um, something we have to see here is um, God proves the legitimacy of His ordained chosen intercessor through a miraculous event where He brings like life out of something that's dead. Mm-hmm. There's this dead stick right. that's not planted. It's not rooted anywhere. And it grows almonds and yeah. blossoms like 
like life comes out of death. Yeah. And it proves that this is my chosen intercessor. And that's to what we stand have between life and death. To stand, yeah. And that's what we have in Jesus's resurrection. It's yeah. out of something that's dead, out of the grave. God has proven once and for all that there is one mediator between God and man. There is no other name given under heaven by which men must be saved than Jesus, mm. because he is the only one who has risen from the dead. There, there's no other intercessor. There's no other priest. I kept trying to find a connection. Like, what's like the Jesus connection between yeah. like a, 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 like a budding staff? Like, yeah. What, what, what is, is there any staff? Is there a tree in right. the New Testament? That's helpful. Like, yeah. the budding staff is a picture of the resurrection. Yes. From death, life. That's right. So that the one, so that somebody could stand between death mm -hmm. and life. And you think about like, especially in the cultural moment that Jesus um, did his ministry in. Think about that. Um, there were so many times, about two hundred years before and two hundred years after, in this period of Jesus's life, that many Christs, I'm using air quotes, came. People claiming to be the Messiah, people claiming to be the one that would bring about the messianic hopes of Israel. Uh, Jesus was not the only one who made these claims and that people were talking about. There were lots of sects that popped up around different leaders in Israelite and you know, Jewish uh, right. Messiah figures. But none of them did what Moses or did what did what uh, Jesus did. None of them rose from the grave. It's like all of the different Christ figures put their staffs in a tent mm, yeah, yeah, in yeah. this 400 year period and said, which one will bud from the grave? Yeah. And Jesus is the only one. That's cool. And so like when we look at every other world religion, even right. Yeah. Like let's put the staffs in the tent. Right. Who can act as a mediator between that's right. Good and evil. Which one's right. Who can act as a mediator between goodness yep. and badness. It's light and yep. darkness. It's the one who has proven miraculously through a test that he can bring life out of death, that the blossom um, of Jesus has grown out from the grave so we can trust him above all else. So just like before, mm -hmm. when Israel disobeys, laws are added because of transgressions right. to fix the disobedience just right. so, seen. So I'm going I'm to remind everyone every episode in Numbers okay. that there's a cycle. Yes. Commands, disobedience, Punishment, intercession. Right. And if you haven't watched our video introducing the book of Numbers yet, our spoken gospel video, intro video, right. go watch it. It talks about this cycle. But that's what's happening. We just had disobedience, and we had intercession and punishment. So what comes next? Again, commands. Commands. Okay. And, and again, this is the same pattern we see throughout the Torah. Yep. Um, and so these are all related to the priesthood, and they're all directed towards Aaron specifically. Right. Because we just saw like the whole issue was, is Aaron the true mediator for Israel? Is he the true priest? And the answer is yes. So all these laws are directed towards Aaron. So the Lord said to Aaron, which is actually very unique in the book of Numbers, because the Lord's always say, and the Lord said to Moses, Moses or Moses and Aaron. So this is this is like this is this is responding to the fact that yep. people don't see Aaron as the true A legitimate mediator. leader. And yeah. so this is the law to respond to the transgression. That's what's happening. Yeah. So and in it we have some couple interesting things that you should see that kind of reverse some of the the, the disobedience we just saw. And also point us to Jesus. Yes. So where would you start, David? I mean, I love, uh, I think it's chapter, or I mean, verse 5 of chapter 18. And you shall keep guard over the sanctuary and over the altar, that there may never again be <laughs> wrath on the people of Israel. It's such a beautiful verse. There's this promise that God holds out. And again, like we saw in the last episode, 
the laws that come in aren't these like let your eyes glaze over sections because the narrative action movie part is over and now we're back into law code. Look at the hope that's here, right? He says, what's the problem that's here? Everyone who draws near the tabernacle of the Lord dies. Are we all to perish? He goes, here's the deal. I have ordained Aaron and his sons to to work the tabernacle and surround it. Remember the beginning of Numbers. They were supposed to form a protective circular barrier right. around and the tabernacle. And that's not because God doesn't want to be with his people. No, it's because he does want to. <laughs> and if they're not there, yep. we all die. That's right. And so what's supposed to happen is uh, um, Aaron and his sons bear the uh, the iniquity. Like they are the living sacrifices right. that stand between the dead and the living. And, and the point is that if they do this properly, there will never again be wrath on the people. I mean, perfect, eternal intercession yeah. is what God is talking about. And he says to Israel, the priests are described as a gift. In verse 6, And behold, I have taken your brothers, Israel, your you know, these Levites, from among the people of Israel. They are a gift to you, mm-hmm. given to the Lord to do the service of the tent of meeting. Like, it is a gift that my presence live with you, and that these people who intercede for you are a gift. Mm-hmm. Intercessors are a gift. And then he'll even say the fact that you are a priest as well is also the, yeah, a Yeah, the gift. priesthood itself is a gift. I give your priesthood as a gift. Yeah. And any outsider who comes near uh, shall be put to death. So anybody that's not, not a priest, not yeah. a priest, right. shall be put to death. Yep. And so, I mean, it's just, there, there's all these rules then about wave offerings and sin offerings. And tithing. And tithing, and first fruits. And what God is doing here is he is doubling down again um, with promises to the priesthood. He said, look, the Levites have just gone nuts. They have been so rebellious, so disobedient. How will the sons of Levi ever be able to be appropriate representatives for the people of Israel? There's too much sin in them now, right? Right. Wrong. Right. God is merciful, a thousand times merciful. He is, he is allowing them to be the priests that he told them to be, despite their sin. And they are not convinced. We're convinced <laughs> they were going to enter into the promised land. They weren't convinced that God was going to provide. They didn't trust God at his word. Nope. And what is the whole, what are, what's every single one of these laws about? The contributions they're supposed to receive from the people of Israel. Every single one is like, God will provide for you as priest. Mm. He will make sure that you have food. He will make sure you have money. The contribution of the people of Israel will provide for you. Yep. This, your priesthood, is a gift. Yeah. And you are a gift to the people of Israel because right. you allow God's presence to dwell. You allow the sun to dwell on earth. Right. And so what you're saying is like uh, all these all these contributions and tithes that are talked about here in chapter 18 um, are talking about how the, all of Israel will bring their first fruits offerings and their grain right, offerings right, right. and everything. And that is what feeds the Levites. That's their, because yeah. they're not allowed to have land. Right. Their inheritance is the Lord. Right, and so what feeds the the uh, Levites are the rest of Israel, and so it, there's this reciprocity that happens here as Israel trusts that God has ordained the Levites to be their intercessor. They bring their offerings as God commanded, and right. that trust in God is what feeds the Levites. Yeah. And so, what are the Levites to do? Trust that trust in God that they will be provided for yes. through the offerings. It's all this circle. If everybody trusts in God. Of trust. <laughs> no. <laughs> if everybody takes God as word, yeah, it works. It works if everyone is has faith. If, it if works. You, if you yeah, trust if God, you trust, it works. It works. If you don't, but it's horrible. The very last verse of eighteen. Uh-huh. But you shall not profane the holy things of the people of Israel, lest you die. Right. So it's the final warning. Like this is trust me. 
mm-hmm. but this is the way it's still going to work. And if you do not trust this, you'll experience the consequences. We talked about in Leviticus how like God's presence is like the sun, and we're oh yeah yeah yeah. We need a spacesuit to get the spaceship to get there. Mm-hmm. Like, how do you harness the power of a supernova? Supernova, huh. you need the technology. You oh, need the right, right. system. Yep. And God said, Here, trust the system. The system will work. Trust it. But if you don't, mm-hmm. you will die because the nature of a supernova, the nature of the sun is to burn up anything that's not like it. That's right. Yeah. And so, like, I mean, for us then, I mean, the same thing has happened. Like, Jesus, our great high priest, has been given to us as a gift. Yes. Right? And Jesus like, is our gift. He's our gift. He is the one that makes sure that there is never wrath. Yeah. That there will never again be wrath on the people of God. Yes. And like Jesus, and like we're going to see that the priesthood fails and wrath is coming again real soon in the narrative. Yeah. But in Jesus, he makes this, this statement of what could be a reality, right? He says, since I am now your great, perfect high priest who has never sinned and who will never fail and who constantly stands before you, there will never again be wrath on you. Yes. Like Seth. Right. <laughs> David, listener. And like yeah. When Jesus is our priest, mm-hmm. he makes us priests too. Yes. And when we trust him at his word that he is the great priest, we're provided for. Yep. There is nothing that we shouldn't have mm. in God. Like like we will have all that we need in the same way the priest had all that we need. That's right. Because and, yeah. And then we get to go and be God's representatives to the world and we get to tell them, look, there is a mediator who can make it so there will never be wrath on you again. Yes. And like we get to be that representative to the world. And so um, then there, there's more laws after this in chapter 19. And um, what they're addressing is the, f- think about this. Like I want you to try to get a picture of the camp of Israel in your head right now. Okay. Because concentric circles. So you have the tabernacle in the middle, priests yep, around it, yep. all the four tribes. But then scattered throughout all the people are 14,000 dead bodies. Okay. So here's a problem, right? If you think about Leviticus, right? We have purity laws ringing in our ears because of all the stuff we've just heard in chapter 18. Yeah. And now here's a problem. You've got a bunch of people who have to go touch dead bodies and like dispose right. of them. How? And, and the warning of the last chapter, the last words before chapter 19 starts is- Don't profane the holy things. Lest you die. Lest you die. So how do I go and touch death without dying myself? And right. so God provides a way. He he comes up with he c- comes up with a new sacrifice of a red heifer. Yes, and, and it's a weird sacrifice. It's a weird one. Yep. It, there's all these weird details that are not included in any yep. other si- sacrifice. Like there's string and like hyssop mm-hmm. involved. Mm-hmm. You burn the body outside the camp, but yep. you use its ashes for the ceremony. Yeah. And so the ashes, I think, are the things that are mixed into this water, and they create a clean a cleansing solution. Right. And you can go. And the people can wash in that cleansing solution and be purified from touching a dead body. They can go and spray it on the houses in which the plague happened and people died. Mm-hmm. And so God creates through this the, the blood and death of this red heifer a cleansing solution for the impurity that's been brought about by all the death. And again, remember, this isn't magic water. Nope. It's, like, it's not like there's some intrinsic property of the water that makes things clean. It's proving a point. Yep. The people need intercession by Moses. But sacrifice is also demanded for purity. Like in order for there to be, in order for death to dwell with life, it must be paid for by death. Mm-hmm. And so there, this sacrifice is a way that that is going to be represented to the people. That's, That's right. The, this, and, this is a symbol. And it's also a symbol of the fact that the plague should have taken the whole camp of Israel 
right? But only 14,000 died, which is a huge number. The death was only 14,000, but everybody's responsible. And so everybody needed to be cleaned up from the impurity that was on them. And so what I love about this, and we'll just do this quickly, uh, is like uh, when we get to the New Testament, we're told that just as the blood of the heifer is sprinkled over things to make it pure, the, the blood of Jesus is sprinkled on us to make us pure. And his blood speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. His, his blood actually comes and not only cleanses us from the punishment of death, mm-hmm. it actually cleanses our conscience and actually yeah. makes us pure people. And so we're not only free from the punishment and the penalty of the plague, we actually are free from the power of sin in our hearts so that we can actually start to trust God for the first time. Right. The ultimate, what are the wages of sin? Death. Death. And so I think part of what we should be seeing here, because there's so much death now entering into the camp, one of like you could describe death as like God's arch nemesis. Mm-hmm. Not, not, he's not equal to God. Uh, God is the God of life. Death is the opposite of him. Mm. And so you have a camp that is filled with death, filled with the opposite of what God is. And God, the God of life still wants to live with his people. Yeah. And so the, he, uh, he makes a sacrifice involving ashes and water. Mm. And what's crazy is, so throughout this entire, so what the point you just made yep. is actually made in the symbolism of itself. So over and over again, it's called the ashes of the heifer. Take the ashes of the mm-hmm. heifer. Take the ashes of the heifer. Take the ashes of a heifer. Take the water for, for cleansing, water for cleansing, right. water for cleansing, water for cleansing. And then in verse 17, the language shifts. Mm. It's no longer the ashes. It's the dust of the heifer. Mm. And it's no longer the water for cleansing. It's called the living water. Mm. So automatically, if you hear dust in reference to death mm-hmm. and living water, you should be transported all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Right. When God breathed on the dust of the earth, it's the same Hebrew word. Right. And he made a living, and that's the same word for living right. water, yeah. a living being. Right. It's, they're both in, there's one verse in chapter two of Genesis and one verse here in chapter 19 that use those two Hebrew words, dust right. and living. And then, so in one sense, this this sacrifice helps get us back to the Garden of Eden. Mm-hmm. But another way, it also reminds us of the fall. Right. To dust you will return. Oh, right. Yeah. So like the ashes mm. are the the dust that we will return to. Yeah. But when they're mixed with the living water yeah. and sprinkled on, we are given life. Yeah. We are given new life when it's sprinkled on us. So like what is the blood of bulls and goats? What is the sprinkling? <laughs> yeah. It is life itself. It's the end of the reign of death in God's camp. Yes. He's sprinkling us with life. Yeah. And when Jesus does this, it's permanent and eternal. And it's not just something that happens outside of us about our legal standing with God. It's something that also happens inside of us. It's not just the outside of the cup that's clean. The blood of Jesus penetrates us and actually cleans our hearts. Yeah. This is like what the sacrifice is supposed to show. Death is the enemy. Like don't linger in the home of dead people. Mm. Don't hover over the dead people's body. God's covenant is a covenant of life. Mm And it affects every area of your physical lives, but you should also know that it goes deeper than that. Mm. The sin isn't the fact, the, the major problem isn't that you've neglected to do a certain, right, that you clean have, a certain home. Right. It's mm-hmm. that you do not trust that God is a God of life. Right. You would prefer death and you constantly yes. keep choosing it. Yeah. Therefore, choose life, the God who has provided a sacrifice for you. Yeah. Which is the plea of Hebrews 3 and 4, you know? Like, right. And the exactly plea of Deuteronomy, right. like, choose life. And, right. uh, yeah, that's beautiful. Well, uh, so we've looked at, uh, last episode, we looked at Israel's disbelief with the spies, the spies' disbelief. Um, we just looked at the priests' disbelief. And then 
next week it's Moses Moses's disbelief. disbelief. The Episode concentric 50. circle falls in Implodes like a dying star. star. But yeah, and next week is episode 50, which is exciting. The implosion of a dying star. The implosion (laughs) of a dying star. So, uh, guys, thank you so much for walking through numbers with us. Um, It's a a book that a lot of us are unfamiliar with. I've been consistently surprised by how, like, complex the narrative is. Yeah. Like, it's like, because Genesis and Exodus, kind of, it's one story Mm -hmm. and, like, there's characters, but they kind of like replace each other. Like there's a right. lot of character, but they one dies off and then a new story yep, starts. Yep, yep. And Exodus is the story of a rescue. Yep. Leviticus is just a bunch of laws. Right. And then here you have like multiple characters acting simultaneously, doing a bunch of different mm-hmm. things. God's laws being interjected in the middle of it. It's actually the most complex is. narrative. Yeah. We've and like so even far. in the opening, remember there were like flashbacks to like in the mid, like in the part like one part of exodus and yes. like so the time is weird and uh and then it's like you have like you know 13 chapters explaining a couple weeks and then you've got like five chapters explaining 40 years right so time is weird in numbers too and uh yeah so it is it's a it's a but it's like an action movie this book that's yeah, how i described at the beginning and it, it holds up so man we'll just let like just remember to stop and worship today the the that jesus stands before between life and death for you i think that's the most beautiful part of this this passage is that the budding staff of aaron who has risen from the grave is is standing between life and death for you to sprinkle a better uh better life over the death that you have earned and, and clean you not only from the punishment that you deserve but also from the sin that reigns in your heart so thank you guys for listening and we'll see you next week Thank you for listening to the Spoken Gospel podcast. Spoken Gospel is a nonprofit dedicated to creating free, gospel-centered media that speaks the gospel out of every corner of Scripture. So to join us in our mission and view our resources, we invite you to visit SpokenGospel.com. Spoken Gospel.